Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. There's Christmas dinner, boys and girls. Here comes a shooter. Shooter. Big buck. Well, I'll be. That's Rudolph himself. Get the camera. If that ain't Santa, I'm shooting. What would you like for Christmas? The dirty point buck. ought to do it. If we shoot anything else in this intro, we're going to start 2021 in a food coma. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. And I am back. Well, not that that's a good thing or anything, but episode 117. This is your boy, East Coast Trev. And this is Steve. Just Steve, man. What is up, brother? Uh, it's nice to be it's, back. It's nice to not be just Steve on this one. <laughs> just Steve, just Steve. It was just Steve running it, not this just case. Steve on it. Yeah, it, it worked out. It was a good thing. It was great. It was a great podcast, man. You did a phenomenal job, and it was great to hear Will's voice again. I'm very sorry that I missed out on that one, honestly. Uh, I'm um, not. At the end of the day, I'm a little jealous. You guys got to go out and have an absolute wonderful time on the bay, put some ducks down, yeah. and you know it works out because. That's going to ensure that next year's competition, more people are going to put in and try to get a piece of that because you guys slayed them. Yeah, I mean, we actually had a really good time. And you guys will hear about that um, on episode 118 with Dan Smeltz. And we're going to kind of go through that whole entire um, hunt from start to finish. We had um, some positive, some negative, some anti, some a little <laughs> bit of everything. It was um, it was definitely a crazy hunt. We 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 limited out both days that we hunted. Uh, one weather day was better than the other. Uh, it was a great hunt. It was an absolute great hunt, dude. I can't wait yeah. to talk to Dan on that one. But everyone can uh, just stay tuned for that. But for sure, I guess uh, I I think the best way we could kick this thing off is uh, Merry Christmas, Trevor. Yeah, man. Merry Christmas. We are rolling. It came right fast. In. Oh, <laughs> I feel as it was the, as if it was yesterday that we did a Christmas episode. I hear Merry Christmas, and in my mind, I hear Goodbye, Dear Season. Well, I was just gonna say <laughs> the same exact thing, man. You know, it's I'm I'm fixing on five days, so from today will be five days, give or take a couple, right? And then my Dear Season's over, and it's like it just began. I have a month down in the coastal zone uh, on our bait zone, but I don't know how much I'll honestly go and hunt it. So my deer season's almost over, which then is almost a good thing, right? Because it brings into our squirrel competition. Yep. So that's cool for a whole month, right? That, that'll start January 1st. Um, there is the rules. The rules are up and on our um, 
our Facebook group, The Outdoor Drive. So if you guys aren't on there, we're going to run the competition on there. For you guys that only have Instagram, I'm sorry. Um, it's just easier to track um, on the Facebook group, and everybody can kind of post their stuff. We were very, um, very thankful that the taxidermy shop, uh, Brian, over there, Brian Anders, he donated two mounts to the biggest gray squirrel and the biggest red fox squirrel. So that was kind of cool. Nor'easter gave um, a couple of squirrel calls. So that's kind of cool, you know. That was kind of cool. And then Gator Outdoors, they donated 100 bucks to uh, to the most squirrels. So that's kind of cool. So that's kind of coming up. That's a positivity. But losing deer season is definitely not in my favorites. When does your season end? <laughs> uh, we've got 12 days from today, which is December 20th. So we're going to be kicking out on January 2nd, I believe. And Damn. granted, I could go into the, the suburb areas, you know, Prince William County and some of them places, you know, where Dominic and them are, and they have a, yeah. a late doe season. But at that point, you know, I, I'd rather dig into, you know, getting down and start to chase the muskies and start getting after some of them pre-spawn bass yeah. and getting things ready for turkey season. So I don't know if I'll partake in that a whole lot. And, and it's kind of funny is, you know, we talk about the loss of deer season, but in all reality, there's a million other one things that we do. Our season isn't based only on deer season. We're what I call, and always called, seasoned outdoorsmen, where we roll with the seasons. When the month changes or the season stops, we're on to the next thing. Like you said, you're out musky fishing. I'll be, you know, chasing coyotes and squirrels. And and you got the sea duck season and all of that rolling. Ducks and... and I mean, it gets crazy. Like, yeah, I'm upset that I didn't shoot a target buck this season, but in all reality, there was a million and one other things going on. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and we can get into it a little more, I think, on the the New Year's recap episode that we're going to do live. But uh, I I want to say that I think at this point, I think we learned a lot from this deer season. I think we oh. one we got in our own heads, and we were trying a little too hard for what was out of our norm. You know. We didn't just do our average, let's just go pack the freezer, let's hunt the way we hunt, let's do what we do. We got so caught up in some of this out-of-state stuff and some of the film stuff, and we kind of touch on that in the show a little bit, but I, I think we actually hindered ourselves. We had a blast doing it, don't get me wrong. Oh, absolutely. Great time. But one thing I've set back is like, you know, I could have probably come back here, and if I would have done this like I did three years ago, probably could have stacked up four times the deer. And I think that was a, a learning curve for me this year. So even though it was I a, think go ahead. No, no, no. I think that the 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 kind of the story behind it, right? And and the one thing that we take away from the season, honestly, one hundred percent, and it's kind of been the theme of a couple of different pod uh, podcasts Agreed. that we've done in the past, is just the camaraderie and the fun. Bring back the fun. And it, it you know, we kind of we've always been like that from the beginning, from before we were a podcast together. And I think long after, you know, yep. we we travel through our endeavors together through the, the following 25 years is that we need to. This was a, a learning year for us because in all reality. We had a good season, but I don't think that we had the season that we should have had because we kind of we got so caught up, like you said 
yep. and chasing that one deer. When in all reality, man, killers are going to kill. And we we're killers and we need to kill. Like it's not, I went in it with, I shot a big buck last year. Now I want to stay on that big buck plateau, but I'm not a big buck killer. I'm going to be honest. That's not who I am. Right. I love just killing deer. I love just hunting. I love camp. I love stories and talking and having fun. And I think I lost that this year. And it's one thing I've definitely I think we all did. It, It was, I think we really, I think we amped each other up and we all fed off each other as the entire group as to, okay, we got a taste of it. We're all going to do, we, we lost a lot of our foundation. And Mm -hmm. like I said, I was going to bring some of this stuff up and I'll probably go more into it when we do the new year's live, but. Oh, I'm not looking forward to it. How I am. I think it's going to be. I mean, I am, but I'm just saying it's going to be crazy. But uh, there's kind of a tagline that especially after I'm going to say the last six episodes, because there's been a reoccurring theme. And, and I think we, there's a new tagline. I think we're going to add into our show and it's, how did I put it? The, uh, the harvest isn't the hunt. It, it's, it's not about the harvest. You know, it's what did you experience during the hunt? What stories did you make? Who did you get a laugh at? You know, who did something stupid? Who passed out first? You know, whatever happens at camp, you know, the harvest is, isn't the hunt. So I'm going to go ahead and copyright hashtag harvest the hunt. If you don't like that, bite me. Um, it's like, it's, it's, it's like, ta- like talking about it outdoors says, and we talk about it all the time. Not the memories. Exactly. I mean, it's, yeah. It's and, really what needs to come back, bro. Yeah. And deer camp has to become a thing. Like period. And, and I'm going to say camp in general, whether it's Turkey camp, whether it's going mm-hmm. up there to go do some offshore stuff, whether it's ice fishing, you know, because ice fishing is a great example. You sit there. Have you, you ice fished before? I never have. But oh well, that's that that's what I'm I saying. Hope, We're, yes, we got to do it because please. what's the point of sitting up there, freezing your ass off, waiting on something to bite? Oh. It's the stories and the jokes and the camaraderie and everything in the tent. And it's those things like we talk about in this podcast. We talked about in Mike's podcast, and we've talked in DA's podcast. Like those are the foundations that we were built on. That was the family thing. And we forget about it. There's a picture in the center of my studio of me, my dad, and my brother and my, my little nephew Reed. And it's all the generations. We have a little doe that my father killed, but it was one of those things. And it was a memory that I'll never forget because we were all together. And that's the same thing. Like I'll kill a button buck while I'm in camp. So we all can spend time together and, enjoy it and take a picture together and just remember all that stuff. Like, I don't know. We need to bring that back, man, because I think that this year we lost that. I really, truly, honestly do. Me, my, the way I've seen it and just the natural state of the show and where it's gone, I I feel like a big shift in the show has been a calling, not only to just bring people to the outdoors in general, but it's to bring back the old-fashioned outdoors. Yeah. I mean, it's, I agree. It's, everyone we talk to, it's the same thing. It's the negativity. It's it about is. trophies. It's about this. It's about that. And our last couple of guests have really put it into perspective. It needs to be about the experience. And that's where the squirrel competition came from. Right. It was a joke. It was not, I mean, it was, it was not really just a joke, but it was one of those things that like, we need to go back to those simple things that we used to do as kids. Where do we all start shooting rabbits and squirrels? And 
we need to go back to that. We need to go back to using a Zebco reel. Like when I got to do that with bones this year, it meant a lot. And it really, I think about it all the time, like how important that little tiny segment and that video was to me for the season. That was the highlight of my season. Nobody might know that. Bones might not even know that until he listens to this. But in all reality, that was the highlight to my fishing season. That was, that's what it's all about. Going back and doing a coyote competition. It's not about who wins. It's about that you went out there and did something that you used to do that you forgot to do it. And that's everybody. We have that. That's been the theme of this podcast as you guys will tune on and you will see. And I don't want to get too much into it because we can blabble on about the same thing. Yeah, this one could, one times. We, we could have gone down this rabbit hole for five or six <laughs> exactly. hours on this one. We actually had to cut it short and set up a part two. So correct. And then, you know, we have the new year's live. That one is going to be a huge thing. If you guys haven't heard about that yet, because this is the first time you're going to hear about it. We have Mike Salter, Steve Mardick, myself, and Steven on this one. Um, we're going to go live on, um, I believe, YouTube, possibly other social media platforms if we can figure out technology-wise how to do so. Um, and that won't be a good one to tune into because we're going to go off the rails. That's going to be a long one. Get your seatbelts ready because we're about to take you on overdrive, the real overdrive. That's yeah, just going to be um, full-on thoughts from the year, from everyone. Yeah, and you're going to hear some, some serious stuff. Um, but... We're really looking forward to the new year. I mean, the new year is going to be – its there's going to be a lot of big changes here. There's going to be a lot of really cool things that come from us. And a lot of – you know, we're in those those growing pains. But um, first off, let's let's start by uh, – should we check in with Mike, by the way? He's probably waiting. Well, I don't know. Do we dare? I, I don't know if we want to hear about reindeer poop this year. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know what? Well, on that note, yes, we do. Let's go ahead right. and bring him on. Here you are. Bringing you the news for the cruise is our good buddy, Mike Salter. Take it away, Mike. Hey, everyone. Looks like Montana hunters are receiving a little bit of a bittersweet early Christmas present this year. Uh, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks has announced that a CWD management hunt will be held for whitetails on private and state-owned lands in several hunting districts in southeast Montana. The goal is to reduce the whitetail density to slow the spread of CWD. Uh, the hunt is currently ongoing and continues through February 15, 2022, and several licenses will be valid for either sex whitetail harvest during that season. These include unused 2021 general deer licenses, 003-00 whitetail deer B licenses, 333-00 whitetail deer B licenses, and whitetail deer B licenses for any other hunting district. Uh, hunters are being encouraged to submit samples uh, and collection sites uh, can be found on uh, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks website. So another opportunity to fill those tags and hopefully the freezers for this year. Now to Washington, where Santa Claus made an early visit to the Department of Fish and Wildlife Game Wardens. Fish advocates and sporting goods companies donated $20,000 plus uh, of one-man rafts, waders, and boots, uh, nearly 40 remote cameras, and a drone to the Department of Fish and Wildlife. Uh, the gifts were intended to be used for, in steelhead country, uh, mostly in the Olympic Peninsula, but the game cameras will be used in several other counties and repurposed in the off-season to help deter wildlife and timber poaching. Uh, the cameras donated will be uh, will actually be able to provide live stream video and alert wardens to poaching activities. Um, 
a great gift to the department as they strive to protect the spawning steelhead in the state. Now to some national news and new trapping regulations. Uh, December 24th will kick off the 48-hour elf trapping season. There will be some new restrictions this year, which do include a minimum height of 18 inches for take, requiring the use of padded jaw traps, which must be checked hourly. Uh, baiting of traps will also now be limited to candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. And additionally, this year has seen a sharp increase in EHD, or elf hemorrhagic disease, and samples must be submitted to your local DNR for testing. EHD symptoms include severe aggression, excessive snowball throwing, and candy cane-like candy cane drooling. So it's a short season, but good luck to all you trappers. Finally, we also are seeing an increased opportunity for reindeer harvest this year nationwide. Santa, unfortunately, has not escaped the effects of COVID and is excessively obese this year. Reports are showing a massive increase in reindeer power to haul him around this year, which means hunters can make some additions to their holiday hit list. This being said, if you do have your license and reindeer tags, be sure to hit up your um, local shields or tractor supply, as I have seen flash sales uh, at both on reindeer decoys, specifically the Rudolph Blinking Beacon decoys. Uh, so you still have some time to get those set up for that all day Christmas set. So um, I wanna wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, just thank you for always sending your news along. It's much appreciated. Uh, special thank you to Stephen Carpenter for some input on today's segment. So as always, if you have anything, feel free to send it along to me. Uh, reach out to me at Mike Salter on Facebook or Bearded underscore Bowhunter21 on Instagram. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. All right. Thanks, Mike. And uh, we'll see you in studio next week, buddy. Uh, really appreciate the news for your cruise. And uh, for all of you guys that, if you haven't already, go and send him something so that everybody knows what else is going on in the world. Um, and thank you, Mike. Really appreciate you this year. You did a lot for us, buddy. Merry Christmas. Um, let's uh, let's thank those special people in our lives. Wait, are you calling everybody that works with us special? That's not PC what? these days, dude. Sorry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not gonna lie. Some of them are kind of special, <laughs> right? But we'll thank well, them anyway. <laughs> all right, let's start off with Gator uh, Gator Outdoors. GatorOutdoors.com. Be the reason. Use Outdoor Drive 25 on that one. Save yourself 25 percent. Novix Outdoors, NovixOutdoors.com, Outdoor Drive 15, save yourself 15% on Novix, mini sticks, regular sticks, tree stands, you name it, you know, maybe last minute gift for one of your outdoor friends. Uh, Latitude Outdoors, LatitudeOutdoors.com, they make the Method uh, 2 and the Classic 2, the Metalist Best um saddle on the market period i mean so, there's, there's and we not even, much else we even dive into them a little bit later in the show so you, you got to listen all the way through to the end and we have a really good uh tidbit from an outsider's perspective i guess you can't call him an outsider he's an insider now but he's an insider you, you get a, a third perspective it's not trev blowing him up it's not me blowing him up this is someone else who's used it in a unique perspective so stay tuned to get his thoughts if you don't believe us NewEraArchery.com, which is the Zeus Broadheads. They are is they are is they are is man, dude. dude. You've been hanging out with them. Uh, talk about it, boys. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, there is a uh, sale going on right now with the Aries Broadhead. It is on the Outdoor Drive 
group page. If you guys haven't seen that yet, get on over to the website, get yourself the Aries, which is our, their fixed blade, broadhead, breaking hearts, and smashing shoulders. Nor'easter Game Calls, nor'eastergamecalls.com, the um, outdoor drive series uh, grunt tube. There is some more being made because they keep turning out um, and selling constantly. So Mark has now turned out a bunch more of those, nor'eastergamecalls.com. Rack bracket.com if you guys haven't gotten yours for this season's trophy um the most stable bracket for your euro on the market and use outdoor drive 10 save yourself 10 percent on that one and uh thank you guys and merry christmas to all absolutely big thanks to them they've done a lot for us this year all of them all of them appreciate you guys and if you need any more information on them go over to our youtube there's pretty much a review on everything we use and while you're over there, hit the uh, notification bell and the subscribe button so you guys can follow along exactly what we have going on constantly. And as the season progresses and going into the new year, there'll be even more stuff coming along. Yeah, that it's it's a lot easier to uh, produce stuff outside of season. <laughs> That's true. I have time. <laughs> you get in the grind and it just I, it happens, man. It's like crap. Uh, I do want to drop this. Oop, go, go ahead. ahead. You're good. <laughs> I want to drop drop this little tidbit. If there is somebody out there that you guys 100% think that fits the Outdoor Drive podcast and somebody you want to hear on here that we we should interview and have on the podcast, hit us up. Hit us up on social media. Hit us up on the Outdoor Drive on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, Outdoor Drive Podcast at Gmail, on our website. Also, when you're on that website, if you guys are here listening, get on our email list. That's going to be a big line of communication for us in the future. We're going to give away special um, special sales. Um, First-time stuff is going to go on there. Kind of keep on the, the tidbit of what's actually going on in our worlds. Um, so get on our newsletter there. Um, that's at the bottom on theoutdoordrive.com. Well done. And... and- so I, I do want to say forget about it. going into Christmas, I do want to give a really big shout out to someone who has gone well out of their way completely unnecessarily to show us some support and love on getting all this digital stuff rolling. And that's uh, Christian Costa. Huge. You guys may recognize the name and know him from his time with Elite and some other companies. But uh, Christian has been an absolute godsend in helping direct us in the right direction with our our marketing and some of the digital end of things and the guy's a genius so i just want to give him a big thank you and appreciate everything he's done for us so enough of that yeah what do you say we uh just get back into this thing and talk about the old times and some good times and really just see how this thing rolls out sounds good buddy let's do it here we go All right, back on the phone with our good friend Aaron. What's up, man? How are you? Gentlemen, I am great. It's the holiday season. Christmas is my second favorite holiday, and I am super jazzed to be on the line with you guys. Should we ask what your favorite holiday is then? Thanksgiving. Oh, <laughs> is that is that is that because of the good food? It is. So, I I think so for me, Thanksgiving is it's family. It is the most traveled holiday of the year. Um, but it's such 
it's such a good opportunity to hang out with friends and family and the, and the food is endless and you don't have the pressure of all the Christmas parties and the Christmas presents and, and, and the marketing along with it. So it, I, for me, it's just, uh, it's, you know, you wake up, you prep the kitchen, prep the food, then you have a great meal, maybe lay down on the floor, take a nap, catch a little bit of a ball game, get up, go for it again. You know, I mean, it's just a good time. Oh, 100%. it's like Christmas without the, uh, without the whole the drama. Yeah. 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 I definitely. Yeah. And especially coming from your background, you know, those moments to spend time with friends and family go a long ways. So they do. Definitely. Well, Aaron, why don't we uh, dig right into it, man? We'll, we'll turn this key and get this thing into overdrive. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about who you are, where you're from and uh, what exactly you do? Oh, well, I'm i uh, I'm Aaron Ritter. And I hail from Washington State. I was uh, born and raised in a small town called Washougal. That's spelled W-A-S-H-O-U-G-A-L. It's an Indian name. <laughs> and uh, it's right on the Columbia River. So there's Washougal River and the Columbia River. And I grew up right in the convergence of those two rivers. Um, I'll say I'm a third-generation outdoorsman just because I hunted and fished with my father and his father. And my grandfather did not talk about his roots or his family a whole lot or what he did when he was younger. So I call myself a third generation outdoorsman. Uh, grew up hunting and fishing the Columbia River, the, all the trips there in that region and hunting the Cascade Mountains, both the west side and the east side. Blacktail deer, Roosevelt elk, cougar, bear, upland bird, a lot of grouse, a lot of quail, a lot of pheasants, was never a waterfowl guy. Uh, my fishing was based, it was focused on salmon, steelhead, and trout. Um, did not get into bass fishing until last December. Um, I'm a, I'm an outdoor guy, 100% at heart. I love being on the move. I love being in the outdoors. Uh, moved from my, uh, my time at home into the Navy, went in the Navy in 1991. Um, I did 28 total years in the Navy. I had to break in service from 95 to 2005 from active duty. And I, I was in and out of the, the reserves. And during that break, I went to college. Um, I worked some odd jobs here and there paying for college, uh, rode on a college rodeo team, Road Bulls, and eventually became a, a fireman. Oh, don't be sorry. It's no, a great time. That's, we we um, all know bareback other... riders and team ropers are where it's at, but we won't get into that. <laughs> of, of course, of course, of course. Bull riders are like um, the, the the Gucci of the rodeo scene, but anyway, really, I have never, I would have always said that a roper is, is Gucci as hell, but Hey, you know, everybody has an opinion, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's only, there's only one type of cowboy that wears his spurs into the bar after a rodeo and that's a roper. Yeah. But anyhow, that's a real um, cowboy. I but be- anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I became a fireman, so I went to college and rode rodeo for Walla Walla Community College, okay. and uh, I, I, I tested, applied for, and was hired by the city of Walla Walla, and I be- so I was a fireman for the city of Walla Walla, and uh, I was doing the Navy Reserve thing, did a couple of deployments when I was in the reserves, and I ultimately returned to active duty while on a deployment, and I stayed active Navy since that time so 2005 and um been all around the world um been in a lot of good countries a lot of bad countries and uh i just retired 
and I work on a, I'm a dirty contractor now. I work on a government <laughs> contract, living a good life. And, um, and I, I hunt and fish like, and run, um, like a crazy guy. That's what I do. Outstanding. Well, congratulations on your retirement first and foremost. That's quite the accomplishment. Thank you very much. So you started something a little bit special, which is limitless outdoors, man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, how that all came to fruition? We're well, really I didn't even, hear about this. I didn't even bring that up, did I? So no. I am, I am limitless outdoors. So limitless outdoors, that's spelled L I M B. Um, and I guess I should start out by saying in 2012, I, I lost my right leg below the knee. And, um, that was, I'd, I'd come home from my second combat tour in Iraq, and uh, I was out on my Harley with some friends, and the throttle locked wide open going into a turn, and I, I had three options. Uh, if I went to the inside of the turn, I was going to hit the bike in front of me. If I went to the outside of the turn, there was a car parked on the outside of the turn. I would have hit the back end of that car, so I took it off-road. Um, when my front wheel hit the curb, it it just it rocked the bike and swung the back end of the bike around both wheels ended up hitting the hitting the curb put the bike sideways i came off the bike and i was helicoptering through the air there were four ornamental trees planted in a row and i went between tree number two and tree number three and my right leg hit tree number three and it ripped it clean off i was a hundred meters from my leg wow and um there's I mean, I can go, I, I never lost consciousness, so I can go into the full detail of that specific event. But um, I, uh, I, was, I was transitioning between commands at the time. And so I, I went in the hospital, obviously, and spent a year between um, Norfolk General to Portsmouth Naval Hospital to Bethesda, Walter Reed. I returned to my gaining command pretty much a year to the day from my incident. I spent two years there fighting to remain on active duty. It was a training command. Uh, I was on instructor duty. And I finally received word that um, my waiver was going to be approved. And I received orders to go to an overseas command. Uh, when I arrived to that command, I was placed as the, the team chief of an SF EOD team to, to support 10th groups um, operations on UCOM out, out of Europe. Uh, my team crushed it. Um, it was amazing experience. Um, my first team there. And um, as I started to transition into my last command in the Navy, which was back in the States, I connected with um a lady by the name of Jody. She works for Cargill Feed Company, and she she works specifically on the Sportsman's Choice record rack feed line. And I connected with Jody, and um, I ended up down in Alabama with Jody and her husband. I was on a work trip. Um, they just it happened to be in the same city, so I, I had lunch with Jody, and then I met up with Jody and her husband Bobby at a local gun range. And Jody and I sat down and started chatting a little bit. And she encouraged me to create something um, about me and my drive for life. And so I came up with Limitless Outdoors. Um, and then I had a guy, and his name is Jeff, Jeffrey Davis, I believe. He, um, 
he he's a he's a professional bass fisherman and he's incredible with logos so he designed my logo for me so it, it went from meeting with jody to coming up with limitless outdoors the the title the name uh, Jeffrey Davis designed my logo for me. I created a Facebook page. Then I created an Instagram page. Then I created a YouTube channel. And now I have a website. I launched my website within the last month. Um, the basis of Limitless Outdoors, guys, is exactly what the title starts with, being limitless. From day one, I wanted to live my life as if I had two legs. In fact, I wanted to live it better. And there was a, I'm a, I'm a Navy EOD guy, explosive ordnance disposal. Um, that's my trade. Um, one of my fellow Navy EOD guys who had lost his leg over in Iraq. Um, I won't say his last name, um, on the podcast, but his first name rhymes with Joseph. Um, Joseph, came into my hotel room to visit me. And um, when he walked in, he was wearing pants and my mom and dad were there with me. And when he walked in, um, I had never met Joseph and uh, you could not tell by his gait that he was missing a leg. And he zipped off the lower part of, um, he was wearing the transition pants and he zipped off the lower, the lower portion of his right leg. And, and there was his, his prosthetic. And, and he told me then, he said, Aaron, there's two types of, of amputees when it comes to your gait. He said, there's the lazy guys that don't put any focus um, into it or any try, and they limp the rest of their lives. And he said, or you can spend a lot of time and focus on learning to walk correctly. And when you put on pants, nobody's going to know. And, and I knew right then that that's the, the direction that I wanted to go. Um, I had my... I had, I had my leadership of my command come in and ask me, you know, hey, Aaron, what, what do you want to do? And I was, a, I was an E6 at the time, first class petty officer. I was a senior EOD tech, um, and I had been a leading petty officer on a team. But, um, I mean, the, the best job in Navy EOD is being a platoon chief or a team chief. And so, I, you know, and, and why are you going to spend 20 years or more in the Navy if you don't want to be a Navy chief, right? So, you know, I, I looked him in the face from my hospital bed and I told him, I said, hey, you know, I, I want to make chief. I want to go back to a team and I want to be a team chief. And, and the response from them was, you know, Aaron, um, you're probably not going to make chief and you're probably never going to go back to a team. Um, but we can probably keep you in the community and you'll just, you know, you'll work in the ops office or, or you'll work in readiness and training or something, but you're never going to be operational again. My best friend and mentor in Navy EOD, um, who retired as the, the group one command master chief, um, Kevin, Kevin Lundgren, um, he and I were on the phone and Kevin asked me, he said, he said, Aaron, man, you know, so what's your thoughts? You know, what's your direction? What do you want to do? And I told Kevin the same thing. I said, Hey, you know, Kevin, I want to make chief. I want to, I want to return to full duty and I want to go back on a team. I said, not only any team, I said, I want, I want to, I want to go on a CRIF team and, or an NSW team. Um, so CRIF, um, works with army SF and NSW works with Navy SF. And, um, Kevin's, Kevin told me, he said, Aaron, look, man, you know, I'm just, you know, I've always been up front with you and, and shared my thoughts, thoughts as a senior leader. You're not going to go back to a team, especially an SF team. If, if you ended up on a team, you're going to go ride a carrier. You'll take a group of guys out on a carrier and you'll, you'll, 
manage EOD operations on a flight deck. Um, he said, but you're probably going to just stay in operations or RNT, and you're probably not going to make chief. And um, that same year, I made chief. And I, I you know, <laughs> told you guys a few minutes ago, um, you know, a couple of years later, I went back to a team. I went to an SF team, and my boys crushed it. Um, I, um, I was a runner since high school. Running was one of my biggest hurdles, and that's part of the birth of Limitless Outdoors. I, um, I started riding a bicycle at Bethesda before I could, before I could even really walk again. Um, I was still in and out of a wheelchair on crutches and using a cane, but I was, I was riding a road bike. I had never, ever been on a road bike. I'd been in a mountain biking quite a bit when I was younger, but I'd never been on a road bike. Um, and they have a, they had a, they had a cycling program at Bethesda. And so I got on a road bike, I started cycling. And when I transitioned back down here to Virginia beach, um, I met up with a guy. Um, his name is Jim golden. He's a Navy veteran and he owned a triathlon shop. Um, and Jim got me into triathlons and part of that, part of that journey for me was I was, I would go ride with everybody on Wednesday nights and I could, I could swim and, and, and I, I swim terrible. There's a big difference <laughs> as a Navy EOD guy. The first phase of EOD school is dive school, but there's a, you can be a diver and a crap swimmer. Oh, you don't absolutely. have to be a great swimmer to be a diver. And I am. Yeah, you don't have like the additional spot. flotation and the BCD and the fins and everything that makes it easy. That's right. Yeah. I sink like a rock. So swimming for me is difficult. <laughs> that, that, that's my least favorite part of a triathlon. But when I started cycling with these guys, I did not like running. Running on a prosthetic is it's completely different than running with a natural leg. And, and I, I was really having a hard time getting over that, guys. Up to that point, the only time of the year that I would run is when the Navy would make me run the PRT. Yep. And, and, and it would crush me. And so cycling with these guys, they talked me into signing up for a triathlon. And it's like, well, Aaron, you can't complete a triathlon unless you start running again. So I literally went home that day, and I had a beautiful custom running leg sitting in my closet. So I went home, I put the running leg on, and I started running. And, um, and I've never stopped. So I went from barely being able to run a mile and a half for the Navy PRT to now I run ultramarathons. Wow. And so it's um, when it when I was with my mom and dad up in Bethesda, I thought that I had to go through this whole medical process to be able to drive again. And nobody ever said anything about it. So like four months after losing my leg, we walked into the occupational therapy department and I asked him, I said, hey, when do I get to have my appointment on um, on this whole like learning how to drive process? And they said, what are you talking about? I said, well, don't I have to go through medical appointments and get my vehicles altered and get certified or get the paperwork so that, that I can drive my car again? And they said, well, I'm, you know, we can help you with that or we can modify your vehicle for you. But if you want to drive, go get in your car and drive. So I turned around. That was in the afternoon. I turned around to mom and dad and I said, hey, guess what we're doing today? We're going so, for a drive. Y'all getting back. Buckle right. up. <laughs> so, you know, my dad and I sat down and uh, had a conversation about it. And you know, my, my dad um, is very thorough about some things. And and again, I'm going to reference, you know, my EOD career. 
you know, I, I'm very thorough and methodical about certain things and always looking at, hey, if, if I do this, you know, what are the second, you know, second, right. third orders of effect, right? So my dad and I came up with a plan of, hey, we're going to wait till this evening when the parking lot's died down and, and we're going to find an empty parking lot on base. You know, we'll stage the car and, and we'll get in. And, and that way, if you know, if, some, if we have a mishap, the only thing maybe you run into is the cement base of a light pole, right? So that's what we did. And I, I got in and sat down in the car, adjusted the seat and off we went. And, and with 15 minutes later, we were off base driving down the road to go have dinner. And I was driving my car and I, I'm, a, I'm a right leg amputee. So I went from, you know, I, I started riding my motorcycle again. Um, and uh, which I will say, I, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, I had another Harley six weeks, six weeks out of the hospital, six weeks out of the hospital. When I say out of the hospital, I'm talking about um, I went to Norfolk General for 10 days. They transferred me to Portsmouth Naval Hospital for another 19 days. Um, they released me to home health care for six weeks, and then I transferred up to Bethesda. And I was in home health care for two weeks, and I had a new Harley sitting in the driveway. <laughs> and Eric's like, you boys like Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> My, my mom and dad watched me ride a Harley again before they watched me walk again. Nice. Well, That's talk incredible. About, talk about powerful people. My mom and dad are amazing. We could do a podcast on just my mom and dad. But anyhow. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all of, guys, all of those things is what Limitless Outdoors is about. Um, you know, I, I, I had to learn to walk again. I mean, how many mothers and fathers um, – are, when I say get to, it's more like are forced to watch their, their child learn to walk again. Um, I, I had to learn to drive again. I had to learn to run again. I, I had to prove that I could be an EOD tech again. I, I, had, to, I had to do all of, all of the basic um, physical requirements that an EOD candidate has to do plus more. I, I had to go prove that I could fall out of airplanes again for for military freefall qualifications. When I went to an SF team, I had to go, pr I had to prove myself to those dudes um, that I could be the guy for them. Um, everything you do, I have to learn every, it's not a big deal now, but like for the first three or four years of my life, guys, every time I walked into a new bathroom in a new location to take a shower, it was a whole new learning experience. Right. Every single time, everything you do, you have to look at it and say, okay, how am I going to do this with one leg? And eventually it kind of starts becoming second nature. But for some people, it's overwhelming. For some people with two legs, your activities, activities in life are overwhelming. So the birth of Limitless Outdoors, it came about as me wanting to show people you don't have to live without limits. You can live your best life with whatever scenario, Mother Nature, God, whatever entity you believe in, has has offered you at this stage in your life, go live it. So what you're, did it? it what, oop, what did it take you to like get back in the woods? Like you're saddle hunting, you're climbing trees. Like that's probably that was a whole new learning curve for you altogether. Absolutely, it was. So, you know, I, I'm I love hunting, and I stopped hunting for ten years guys just because i was i, I was in the navy um oh yeah Off tempo makes it hard work. yeah yeah it does yeah and um it traveling a lot moving a lot um and you know again i was born and raised hunting washington state 
And when I came out here to Virginia Beach in 2010, <laughs> <different> story. <laughs> it's totally different. Whitetail and blacktail, they're two different deer. Um, they live in different environments. You hunt them differently. I, 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 you guys are going to laugh at this, but when I went growing up, watching watching videos, the only videos you could watch um, in the in the 80s and the 90s were VHS tapes. You could get on YouTube. You could, you know, you didn't have all the outdoor channels. So if you went to an outdoor show, you you were able to see a, a well-known hunter. You could you could go to a seminar and see him live. And then you could buy his VHS tape. Um, and then you had Cabela's catalog or you had Bass Pro catalog. Yep. And I remember having conversations with my dad about, hey, dad, why is why is everything about whitetail? Why don't we have catalogs about blacktail? Or why is everything about bass fishing? Because <laughs> they're is, not easy. Who hunts turkeys? <laughs> who hunts turkeys? I mean, those silly southern boys, nobody hunts turkeys. We eat those at Thanksgiving. You know, my dad would try, he would try to, you know, throw out the common sense of, you know, son, very few people hunt blacktail. Um, those same people that hunt blacktail hunt, or they, they fish for salmon and steelhead. The rest of the country hunts whitetail and they fish for bass so that's why everything is geared towards that when i came out here i did not get into whitetail hunting until it was november or december of 2014 a marine buddy of mine was stationed in southern maryland so we're three and a half hours apart he said aaron i got access to some private property i have a double ladder stand up i have a feeder going we can shoot so many doe Mm-hmm. come up and sit in the, in the ladder stand with me. So I did. I had never shot an animal with a shotgun before. I was in, I was a uh, modern firearms and archery. And um, so I harvested my first whitetail, my first shotgun harvest, my first harvest out of a, out of a, out of a ladder stand was in Southern Maryland. And um, I bought a, I was, I was a traditional guy at that point. I went, I went and bought a Matthews helium, got back into compound shooting and then, lo and behold, I I transferred to Spain. So my hunting came to an end again. Uh, when I came back, I um, I I bought a, well. So right before I left, I'd bought a Summit hand climber. Uh, my best friend, uh, Navy veteran, he's he is he owns three Summit Vipers, loves them. So he got me into a Summit Viper. He showed me how, his system of climbing and how he rigged it, packed it. Um, everything. Um, and so that's what I did. And when I came back from Spain, I found a lone wolf. Um, and I literally flew into Norfolk, stayed with my best friend and his wife, Corinne, for a couple of nights. As I was driving to Southern Maryland, that was my, my last duty station. I found a guy on Craig's Craigslist that was selling a lone wolf climber. I met him in a Walmart parking lot in Gloucester and, uh, and picked it up showed up in southern maryland when i was checking in um i met with the uh with the with the diver the our corpsman diver and uh he's a big hunter we were talking about it i said yeah i'm looking forward to my stuff getting here so that i i can have my bow uh, so i can go hunt he said i've got a crossbow if you want to borrow my crossbow it's like well i've got my climber and a harness and i've got camo so he loaned me his crossbow the next day i'm out in my climber climbed a tree grunted in my first whitetail and my first crossbow kill it was a little five point but man that was like the biggest trophy of my deer hunting oh, absolutely. career at that point and um yeah trev for me it's uh the, the climber again i looked at the climbing process and i just said hey man um 
I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure out how I'm going to do this with a metal leg. And I did it. And um, I've been in climbers since um, January of 2015. So I've climbed a Summit Viper. I've climbed a Lone Wolf. Um, I can't remember the name of the Lone Wolf, but it doesn't have a shooting rail on it. It's just a platform and a seat. Oh, it's a hand climber. Yep. It's a hand climber. Yep. And and now I hunt out of tree saddles. And for me, that's my favorite type of hunting is elevated, um, um, movable, whitetail hunting that's my favorite and um I, I again man it's for me it's like if i when i look at it i'm going to figure out how to do it with a metal leg there's just it, it, it's no limits for me man i i want to do it and and i want other people to see that hey man um god if that guy can do it i can do it if, if anybody has reservation i'm like hey man let's talk because um i want you to figure it out i want you to experience it i want i want you to go out and conquer your your fears or your reservations and i want you to experience something new if you have a dream chase it it's i don't know i can't remember the guy's name he's the country singer he has a he has a song out right now it's on the charts and he talks about it. he's like if, if you have a if you have a dream chase it because you're you, because your dream's not going to chase you and that's what limitless outdoors is about absolutely and there's a ton of people out there that that honestly they don't they have both their legs and they don't accomplish what they should accomplish or they don't have that oomph to try and get out there and do it and and kind of watching your story you know unveil throughout the whole entire season was actually awesome because i would get like a text message like you shot your muzzleloader deer and then there was another one and it was so awesome to see man and we became friends throughout that but like it's pretty badass to actually see you do this it's it's actually very empowering so we can, I mean, I don't know what vein you want to travel down on that, but hunting for me also is a part of my, my mental health. Absolutely. Um, being in the outdoors, whether it's hunting or fishing and running, those are, those are the three things that really help. And my wife, my wife, she is amazing with my mental health. Um, those, those four things are really um, what, what have helped move me forward in my, in my headspace over the, over the last um, five year period. You too can relate to that a little bit more than I can, as far as oh, like 100%. how important it is for you and how, how great the outdoors actually is and how it's like when you guys have probably come home from war or whatever, that it's definitely been one of those things that's kind of been able for you guys to relax, kind of be kind of like your Zen and, and kind of move forward. Oh, absolutely. And when I came home, that was my thing is, you know, I got back to Arizona and being able to hunt in Arizona is it's a blessing because the chances of getting to do it are very slim every year Mm -hmm. and moving out here to Virginia and seeing, okay, I can get X amount of doe, X amount of buck, a bear, how many turkey all in one tag, you know, is, was kind of mind blowing to me, but getting out and working with some veteran programs and doing some stuff with some nonprofits around here, I, I kind of got myself centered and that's kind of how I settled myself back in and reconnected with the world was through hunting, you know, that it has an effect to a traumatized mind that nothing else does in my opinion. And it's, I I've been challenged on that before by anti hunters or non hunters. And they look at it as, Oh, you guys are just, you know, it's, if you can't be in war, then you just want to go out and shoot your guns and kill things. So you go hunting. And I, it's really hard to explain to people that that has nothing to do with it. At least, 
at least not for me. Right. So I was raised, I was raised by a man that, um, hunting, hunting for us. Yes, it was, yes, it was family time. It was father, son time. It was, it was father, grandfather, son time. Um, it, but it, and it was, hey, we want to fill a tag because we're putting that meat in the freezer because I, I did not come from a wealthy family. Right. And we didn't, you know, back then, and this is probably, we'll probably hit this topic at some point, but you know, when I when I grew up hunting, especially out in Washington State and Blacktail, you didn't, you, you harvested the first legal deer that was within ethical range of whatever weapon system you were hunting with. And the, you didn't score your deer. Right. You you harvested your deer, you field dressed your deer, you got your deer back to camp and you cared for your for your animal and the meat because you were you were going to eat that animal. And we never worried about scoring a deer. I I, I will say that when I was um, a senior in high school, I harvested um, the third largest um Forked horn in the state of Washington at that point in time, but we didn't have that deer scored until, holy cow, um, like 15 years later, longer than that, maybe two decades um, before we actually finally had that animal scored. Um, but you know, it's it's different, you know. And and I try. My dad carried bird books up to camp with us. We carried plant books with um, up to camp with us, and we we relished in being in the outdoors and sharing that time together. Um, it wasn't about the, the squeeze of the trigger or, or the killing of the animal. It was, it was everything else because, you know, hunting blacktail and Roosevelt elk, the likelihood of you filling a tag was slim. So if you, if you were just there to fill a tag, you weren't enjoying it. You had to find other enjoyments for what we were doing. And, and, coming back and dealing with the, the baggage that most of us have to deal with um, after serving, that that outdoor environment for me, it brings back such amazing positive memories. It's a safe place for me. It's a beautiful place for me. And and and, and trying to frame that for people that, that are non-hunters or that look at guys like us that they think that we're just bloodthirsty. It's trying to, to capture that for them and, and communicate to them, to them. It's difficult, but it's, I mean, you're, you're put in a position that you have to do it sometimes, but um, it's, it's, and it's unfortunate people that they look at it that way, but it is, it's, it's one of the places that I go to make sure that my head stays in the right place. Well, they, I think they see such a small um, piece of the pie for us because we spend hours and hours and hours in the outdoors just enjoying the sunrise the birds coming alive the animals all the other animals that we see with whether we're on the water and we see otters and minks and muskrats or we're in the woods and we see owls and birds and i mean it's just endless all the animals that we actually see and then what they see that we're doing is killing they don't get to see all the glory that we get to enjoy day to day when we're in the outdoors. And it's kind of, I think that the industry in as a whole 
kind of took this like big turn to like all like you were saying measuring deer how big of a deer can you shoot how you know how many deer can you kill you know i I see a lot of posts especially locally that are guys are like you know like this morning like somebody had posted on on one of the facebook groups and they had said if you're not in the woods you might as well sell all of your gear this morning because it was a really cold morning and everybody in there was like well i already filled my tags so you should sell your gear and it's like i think you guys are all missing the point of why we do this like i don't want to be tagged out i don't want to kill the biggest deer i want to spend as much time as i utterly possibly can in the woods because it's such a short span and then then we go on to the next season and i think a lot of people get caught up in all the things for the wrong reasons honestly i i do too and you know there's 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 a positive and negative for both for for most things um the the advent of youtube um and 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 you know i'm i'm a guy on youtube but you know you get to watch all these all these people that are there now you know you call them professional hunters um whatever however you want to label them you know um they're out you know they're 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 hunting on contracted like private leases private farms they're invited to come places um to to harvest monster animals right you know you have all these all these places that they name you know growing up nobody named their deer you know, nobody's like, "Hey, I'm calling this guy this or this guy that," and and I'm not and and I'm I'm not I'm not saying anything negative about it, but it's it's driving the outdoor industry and the outdoor world in a certain direction, um, and people are more worried now about, "Hey, how old is this deer? Hey, what do you think this deer will score? Hey, I'm naming this deer this, and it's my hit list," and, and those become the priorities rather than than focusing on the hunt and the camaraderie of being in the outdoors and the experiences of the outdoors. And for me, that's what it's about. And I'll share this quick story. Um, I had the opportunity to hunt Nebraska this last November. And it was, it was my first, I've, I hunted Oklahoma on a whim. Um, I hunted deer for less than 12 hours in Oklahoma a few years ago. And I harvested an eight point. Um, and uh, he was a nice eight point. But it wasn't it wasn't a like a big planned hunt. So Nebraska was my first big planned western whitetail hunt. And the night before I harvested my big deer, um, I was I was coming out of my tree in the dark. And boy, this this is just a story in itself, guys. Nebraska was so awesome. Um, I'm walking across the cut cornfield. And, and by that time into the hunt, I, I, I knew right where I needed to walk because I had, I would, it was a little over a mile from the truck down to where my tree was. And, and then it was pretty much all downhill except for the last final, like a quarter mile across this cut cornfield. And then I would do it again in the afternoon and they come back in the afternoon and do it again at night. And uh, I'm coming across in the dark and there was a little outcropping of trees and brush, um, that I would hit this point and then circle around the point and then finish the cutting through the cut corn to start making my way up the hill. And I was, I was like 30, 35 yards off of this, this point that comes out of the, into the cut corn. And I, I had my, my, uh, my, my red light on and I started hearing the brush moving. And I, so I just stopped and I'm standing there with my bow in my hands and my dad laughed at me when I, when I told him the story and, and so did Tim and Al, the two guys I was hunting with, but guys, the very first thought that went through my head was, 
Oh man, I hope that's not a skunk. <laughs> <laughs> I do not knock you on that. I have had that encounter myself. <laughs> and because uh, in, in my mind, I'm like, like the worst thing that could happen to me right now is get sprayed by a skunk, right? So I'm thinking, man, I hope that's not a skunk. And I hear this rustle. I hear this rustling. And then I hear a tree getting raked. <sighs> and it's like 30 yards from me. And then I hear a grunt. And then and now I can see eyes. And I can see these eyes. And, and, and I'm watching this, this buck. I can't see antlers. I can't see the body. I can see eyes. And I can hear it. And he was raking this tree. And then he would look around and he'd grunt. And then he would rake the tree. And then he would grunt. And finally, he, I heard him start, walk back off into the brush. So I walked around. Um, to the point and holy cow I it was like I went complete starfish standing on my feet just like got my body as wide as I could it was just like just rank with his musk like he was he was rutting so hard it was like just let my clothes just take it in this this (laughs) natural tarsal gland blowing around in the wind right and uh I was like you don't experience that if you're not out in the environment during the rut, you, you don't get to experience that from a video. You don't get to experience that while you're bird watching or while you're sitting in the movie theater or on your couch or driving in your car. You, the only time or way you're going to experience that is if you get out in mother nature at either during the rut or, or, or being a hunter. And so those moments are what, capture my attention it's not the vic the next morning i harvested the the biggest whitetail i've ever harvested in my life that's a whole nother story but and that was an amazing experience but that the night before walking up on that on that buck and just watching that that whole episode that memory is burned into my mind forever mm-hmm. it's just though it's those experiences and and right now circling back to how this started right now, you know, I'm not going to throw any, any names out there specifically, but you know, when you're more focused on naming your deer or you're looking at your game cam photos and videos, and I have multiple game cameras, but when you're more worried about, Hey, ranking your deer and what's that one score and what's that one score and how old do you think that deer is and naming all of them, for me, that's and and if that's what you're really into, good for you. You know, hey, do you? But for me, that's not me. That's not why I do it. So there, there's a question. I was going to save this for the New Year's episode, but I, I guess I'll probably touch base on it real quick because <laughs> it we're in that realm and that conversation is flowing. But so we've seen the industry as a whole. It started to go from from you know we would go camaraderie camp spending time with with loved ones and and enjoying the outdoors then it went to hunting on um leased land you would build your own farm and and shoot real big whitetails all the industry in the 90s was all throughout that then we went to you know um uh help me out steve so we went to guided hunts that's right so we would buy we would buy ourselves and go and go on a guided hunt and go and hunt and shoot the biggest deer ever right that's where the industry went then it went to kayaks and 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 saddle hunting and getting e-bikes and going a million miles in in the woods do you think that it'll ever go back to the point of 
just that camaraderie, that camp, like the Fred Eichlers of the industry would just like, just shoot a deer, enjoy the outdoors, get rid of those cameras, get rid of everything and just go out there and hunt. Because I know we can, we can all say that, you know, we spent so much time on, and we're all, we are very all subject to all of this. We, we did the mobile hunting, the e-bikes, the whole nine yards and got into the woods, but we've been so encapsulated in what the industry wants you to do that you, you stop enjoying why we're actually out there. Well, I don't want to be a hypocrite uh, because limitless outdoors has a YouTube channel. Limitless Outdoors has a web page um, and social media, right? And if, if, if I'm going to be a presence in the outdoor industry and if I'm going to um, show to the world that you can go live your best life regardless of what life throws at you, um, then, I, then I have to be on camera. I have to advertise myself to the world, right? Um, and my best friend, um, we met in 1992, Michael Sims. Um, Michael said to me a couple of times um, over the last couple of years and um, to the point to where um, I, the phrase, you know, it almost became aggravating a few times. But there's there's the basis of it is um, Michael's point. Uh, he would he would tell me, you know, you're taking the hunt out of the hunt. And it's kind of what you just brought up, you know, um, and everybody, everybody everybody's hunt is their hunt and why they hunt um, is, is for them to decide. Right. Um, but I, whether you, whether you break it down to the roots of how you were born and raised and brought up hunting um, to the other side of that pendulum of being full blown, maybe a paid hunter making money in the industry on camera and, and traveling around to those, those least, um, properties of those private farms and, and hunting those those monster deer on camera um, you know whatever whatever end of that spectrum you're in um, or somewhere into the middle um, I, I think it's important to to explore your root, your roots on occasion um, and just get back to that moment of of no cameras no technology just whether you're by yourself or with a relative or close friends or a, or a big hunting party and, and you just, you know, you light the campfire and, and you, you, you hunt hard and you plan hard and, and you enjoy camp hard. I think that's important. And, and, and I do that on occasion. Um, once a season, I will, I, I'll leave cameras and I'll just go climb a tree. Um, I'm a little bit independent. So I, I like to do things on my own, just me, um, quite a bit. And then there's times that I want to be social. Um, and so I'll, um, my wife's family has a, they have 53 acres up in Pennsylvania with a, with a cabin on it, no water, no electricity. Um, so I can go up there and get lost. Now I do have some cell service, but I can go up there. And if, if her stepbrother and, and his buddy doesn't come up, to, to, to hunt or to visit why I'm there. It's just me. Um, and, and I can get that time, um, of just, you know, lighting a, lighting a pot belly stove and hanging out in camp. And then I go climb a tree and I can leave cameras and I just go hunt. Um, if I'm with Michael, you know, I don't carry cameras when I hunt with Michael, whether it's deer hunting, elk hunting or turkey hunting, um, you know, might do some, some filming with my cell phone or something But you know, Michael, for him, that's not part of the hunt for him. So he doesn't really want to, to do it or be a part of it. Um, so, um, but the rest of the time, you know, I've, I have my, my camera gear in my bag and, um, and that's what I'm going to do. My, my hunt in Nebraska, 
Tim Ensley called me on the phone and said, Hey, you know, we're doing this film project. Um, if you, uh, and he, he helped guide me on what cameras to upgrade to this year. Cause I was on a mission to do an upgrade this year. And he was like, Hey man, if you want to come out and film, you know, we're going to film our own hunts. And then, uh, after we've, we filled, if you fill the tag, then, you know, you're going to go film for other people. And I said, Hey man, yeah, I'm all in, let's do it. Um, and that was a really good mix that hunt because we had some incredible camp time and then we had some good hunting time and, and we were filming, but it was a little, it was a mix of both, but will we ever go back to the other end? Not completely. I think that's, I think mm-hmm. technology, um, that's, it's just never going to go unless, unless we have, you know, um, society falls, you know, I was just and, fixing uh, to say in the yeah, case of an EMP that. who can go out and hunt <laughs> with straight woodsmanship. That's right. That's, that's the only way we will ever go back to what hunting was like 40 years ago. Yeah. You're hunting for food. Um, End of story. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, my, my idol growing up was Dwight Shue. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Dwight Shue. He was, uh, he was a, a traditional archer out of Idaho. Um, it, you know, big elk hunter. Uh, and it, I idolized him when, um, when I was younger. It, 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 and will we ever hunt like the late Dwight Shue again? Most guys won't, no. Um, there's a handful of guys that, you know, that are strictly no electronics. And, you know, kudos to them. If I wasn't trying to, to sh- you know, motivate people to live their best life, I wouldn't hunt with cameras. You know, I would just go be me. Mm-hmm. I think it's – but you brought up a very valid point as far as, like, having that camp and, and, and hunting camp hard because you have to sometimes wind back and take back in some of the enjoyable moments that you had when there is no electronics or the simplicity of hunting, whether it's, you know, some guys bring out trad bows, some guys just go and hunt hard and just disconnect themselves. I think there's a, one thing that I had done this season um, was when I was in Ohio and we got to go, uh, spend time with our good friend Bones. Um, he asked me if we wanted to go fishing in a, in the pond, and that was probably like the highlight of my season because being we'll call it quote unquote professional fisherman, always chasing big game fish and catching big game fish constantly, and you kind of you get away from the simplicity of fishing, right? So we got to take little Zebco reels and little tiny lures and just something that I wouldn't have done since I was a kid and fishing around the pond and catching one largemouth bass. That meant more than catching every 50 pounder that I caught this year or every tuna that I caught this year, just to be able to do it on the simplicity side of it. And I think that everybody should, I mean, I'm going to fix that goal for myself to do something bring it back to the simple days of when we all started Um, just to remind yourself what it actually is because it's zero stress at that point. And it's so enjoyable to be able to do that. So I'm, I I totally agree. And I'm going to talk about running for a hot second um, and frame it that way for running. I'm already tired. You know, man, man, uh, (laughs) electronics and social media for running has changed running. You know, if, if, if you don't, so there's, there's an app called Strava. Yep. If you don't, if your run is not on Strava, did it really happen? If you don't post a selfie on Instagram or Facebook of you out on your run or after your run or right before you're going to run, did it really happen? And there's, there are times guys when now granted, you know, I'm always 
wearing a GPS because I track my mileage and my heart rate and everything. But I leave my headphones. I leave everything at home. And all I have is just the GPS watch on. And I go run. Um, just because I just want to go enjoy the basis, just the natural ability of running again. I, it, no photos, you know, no Strava posts, no, hey, here I am running this trail or this bridge or, or crushing this many miles. I just go run. And it's the same thing that we're talking about right now for hunting and fishing. If you're, if you're a professional bass fisherman and that's all you do is pre-fish and then competition fish, you're no longer just enjoying the aspect of fishing. It becomes a job. Um, if, if all you do is hunt on camera and, and just, you know, crush in footage and media data so that you can post another YouTube, you're no longer just hunting. It's a job. Uh, and sometimes we need to take that breath and just go back and enjoy the hobby that has brought us to where we're at right now. Cause let's be honest, guys, if, if I wasn't on social media as limitless outdoors, you know, and, and filming myself in a saddle, would I be here talking with you guys right now? Probably not. Right. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't go out on occasion and leave all of that technology behind and just go have a little bit of Aaron time out in the outdoors or maybe Aaron and Michael time or, or whoever that, you know, Aaron and my dad, I, I rarely get to do anything with my dad anymore. So if I get that moment to go hunt or fish with my dad, it's not on camera. I'm soaking in every single second of being with my dad outside of maybe taking some pictures for memories. You know what I mean? Yep. So yeah, 100%. I, I think people need to get back to that on occasion. See, and I think that's a great, that's a really good point you bring up right there because especially in today's day and age with YouTube, with social media, especially as a creator, the first thing most people do is going, hey, I can go do my hunt with my dad. And they instantly go, hey, that's a selling point. This is going to get clicks. This is going to get views. Me and my dad. And then you go out with your dad, and your dad's sitting there half the time with his thumbs twiddling going, put your damn camera away. You're annoying me. But you're trying to get the best content. And when it's you're over, yeah, the, the, video, point. the video looks great. People will love the story. But your dad's going to look back and go, all he did is fiddle with that damn camera the whole time. So just so that nobody calls me out um, after listening to this podcast and if they take the time to go to my YouTube channel, um, this last April, I took my dad on a fishing charter for, for redfish, for puppy drum. Okay. And and my, my dad, he's my biggest YouTube fan. I mean, I, I'll be honest, guys, <laughs> my YouTube channel, it is grassroots rudimentary filming and videos man um like it or not it's what it is and my dad is my biggest fan mm -hmm. and so when we went fishing my dad my dad had asked me before we went he's like hey are you gonna do a youtube video he's like are we gonna, is this gonna be a video <laughs> yeah. he was so excited so there was no way i was not going to get some footage of that and make right. a youtube video because my dad wanted it mm -hmm. however it's a very simple film and it was all done with my iphone i there was no cameras set up in the boat uh there's 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 no b-roll we I, we just i went out took photos took some short video clips and we fished um but other than that yeah there are times when you need to you need to focus on the moment and not worry about 
all of the other noise. Absolutely. And 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 for my headspace, the noise is the hardest thing that 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 I have to learn to manage. And so if if I have too much noise going on in my life, the noise in my head becomes overwhelming. So there are times when I have to turn all of it off and just go out and and focus on the 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 root of my love and my hobbies. I think and it, I think it, a lot of people I think it's just about to take the words. That, no, go ahead, please. <laughs> so that's that's what I think. I think a lot of people in our industry need to do that more. They need I to agree. Take time out for where it all started. Absolutely. I mean, there's times like obviously we film our hunts and stuff. We you know we have a little bit of you know the hunts that we do catch on film or whatever, and we've kind of made that kind of our goal, right? Um, when we hunt together, that we try to film, um, but. I think that it's taken a toll on both of us because the the stress of trying to get everything on film and hunt at the same time. And you're like, you want to shoot the biggest buck or you want to shoot something on camera. And it's a tough thing. And there's times that like, I'll just forget about it, man. Like when we had a good snow cover, I just went out and I tracked in the snow. I mean, it's what I wanted to do. And there was no way of filming it. And it was just like, go out there and hunt, you know, and it was just cool. You know, would that hunt, that was a great hunt and would have been made a great film. Um, but it was just enjoyable to get out there and enjoy mother nature as it's whole without the camera. That's right. And that's, the, and that's when you play that song, you should have seen it in color. Yeah, exactly. 100%. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, you should have seen it in color. Right. <laughs> my, my, my wife is, she's amazing. She'll watch me get wound up and stressed out. You, you know, with, with the planning and the hunting and, and, and my camera gear and, you know, trying to get the right footage and then trying to, you know, put footage together and, and get that film done. And, and my wife will say, hey, honey, hey, babe, why don't you leave the camera gear home on this next time? Why don't you just go enjoy a little bit of you time? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's received well, sometimes it's not, but typically it's like, wow, she's, she's, uh, she's on top of it. She watches me. She hears me, she feels me, and and she's that reminder on occasion of you just need to go have a little bit of you time and, and enjoy what it is that you do. Absolutely. No, I, I, I totally understand how that goes, and it's it's definitely something that needs to be done. Um, and I know we've been talking about this for, for a little bit of time, though, and I, it kind of bleeds into one another, but what would be one thing that you kind of would want to change or see something different in the industry as a whole? 100%. It's the negativity. Um, there's so much judgment taking place right now. And part of it, I think is it's social media, you know, Facebook is, it's a great place to advertise. It's a great place to connect. It is a cesspool of negativity. And, you know, we we deal with enough negativity from folks outside of the hunting industry and the hunting community, much less bringing it upon ourselves. And, you know, we've brought it up a couple of times throughout this podcast so far. It's like, hey, hunt your hunt. You know, do you. If that's what makes you happy, that, that has no bearing on me or my success or my enjoyment, right? If If you want to go live on camera go live on camera. If you want to name every deer on your property or on the public land that you hunt, go name every deer. That's, that's just not me. And if that's what makes you happy, 
go be happy. I 100% support that. But when you turn that around and start pressing your opinion on other hunters, we're, we're, we're going in the wrong direction. When you start shaming somebody because they harvest a doe or they harvest a spike or they harvest a small four point or in, in the, you know, up in the Northwest, they'd call it a four torn. That, that's, that's not okay. We don't, you don't know why that person harvested that animal. You, you don't know what the, the basis of it is or their reasoning or their circumstances. Um, and, and you're, and you're taking away some positive energy from that person's experience. And um, I'm going to use um, that that first five-point whitetail that I grunted in and, and harvested with that crossbow on a, on a Facebook site. And, and I did it out of fun. I, 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 read, I, I posted a picture of it and I said, hey, check out this bruiser that I harvested a, week, you know, a couple of nights ago. And I, I was being sarcastic because – you know, I, I've been hunting for 40 years now, and and I was just having some fun with it, right? And holy cow, the comments that, that followed that post were ridiculous. And one guy in particular, he just wouldn't let it go. And it's like, man, does that really make you feel good to shame somebody in the animal that they harvested? And you know what? Who If, if I thought that was a bruiser... Maybe that was the biggest, it wasn't, but maybe that was the biggest deer I've ever harvested in my life. And to me, that was a bruiser. You know, why, what harm is it in just saying, hey, man, that's awesome. Hey, congrats. Hey, good for you. Or, you know, hey, you know, that may have not have been the deer that you would have taken home. But, you know, it, it takes more time and energy to say something negative to somebody than to give them a thumbs up or say, hey, congrats, man. That's awesome. And, you know, a lot of these guys, I think they forget some of the things that their mother or father told them. If you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say nothing at all. And it's pretty right. simple. Well, that that, that and the golden be. rule, you know, treat others as you'd like to be treated. Two things it's, right there exactly. that have been locked. It's gone. Doesn't it's exist gone. anymore. Exactly. It's you totally know, gone. It, on, on social media, you'll see people post pictures from their game cameras on private property with trespassers. And they'll post a picture and say, hey, this is this this camera's from this area. If anybody recognizes this guy if or if you are on this page, you know, I'm asking you not to not to be on my property anymore. And, and I'm and I'm letting you know that if I if I catch you and you keep doing it, I'm going to turn you in. And, you know, the, the number of posts that will follow that photo and that comment of, you know, well, how do you, you know, how do you know this? Or how do you know that? Or this, you know, what, there's just, what happened to the, Hey, if you, you know, do you have your land posted or do you really know that he's hunting? What happened to the support of each other of saying, Hey, 100% that's wrong. If that guy's not supposed to be there 100%. Yeah. Let's find who that is. Say, Hey man, don't trespass. Hey, go hunt public land. Hey, if you want to hunt there, contact the property owner and ask him if it's okay. Um, it, pe- people that get stuff stolen, you know, it, it, it's just like, you know, people are like, oh yeah, well you shouldn't have done, shouldn't have done this or you shouldn't have done that. Why don't we, why don't we just support each other? Because when the tables are turned, those people that are making all those, those negative comments, when the tables are turned and they've been wronged, they want that support. And I, that those are the types of things that I would 100% change in our community in the industry of just 
100% supporting each other because everybody outside of the hunting community and the hunting industry, they do not support us. They are, the majority is against us. And so we're, we're fighting amongst ourselves um, and fighting other people. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking for me. I think one of the the biggest things, and you, you brought up a very valid point, is that we're fueling the fire of those people that are against us. And a lot of people don't realize that. And we know we kind of firsthand. We just had that conversation the other day. <laughs> well, and that's kind of why I brought this up, because there's a lot of people don't realize it, but there's big, quote unquote, influencers or people that are trying to smash on the industry. But what they don't know is that they're actually fueling the fire for the other side. A lot of their followers... They might have 10,000 followers and 5,000 of them followers are into hunters. So what they're actually doing is fueling the fire for the other side. So when they go and they rip on somebody for wearing Sitka or, or tree saddle or e-bike, whatever the case may be, they don't realize it, but they're fueling the fire for the antis. Um, we actually had a scenario, uh, what, last year, Stephen? Yeah. Where we had posted a picture. They took our picture. They blasted it us trying to like knock us down and we had like 600 comments from anti-hunters and and it's they're literally doing the research for the antis to give them an argument look Uh at these idiots quit doing that and then the antis go yeah we agree look at these idiots it's like okay dude you're doing the homework for them and making this fight easier right and we're fighting among each other and just crumbling our base like stop doing it you know and that's it just it just it drives me nuts man we got to band together we got to bring back the simplicity of hunting and we got to move on because if we don't we're i don't know what we're going to see in the next 20 years honestly um, yeah look at what oregon just tried to pass yeah I, I, i forget what they what they what they what they called that um that bill they were trying to pass but it was going to end hunting in oregon period yep Correct. Far yep. Well, so let's um, so speaking about negativity in the industry, let's talk about something positive. Let's talk about latitude outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! I love it. <laughs> there are boys. Yep. So, what do you guys think about latitude outdoors? Let's start with that. Trev, go first. I love it, man. I, I really do, honestly. With the two-piece saddle, I absolutely love it. The, for the all-day sits, I run the two-piece saddle. Um, just just for comfort, the change, um, you can move around and you can definitely change your, your position in your saddle to be able to be a little bit more comfortable. And then the one, the one panel, I actually kind of like the one panel from them than I do any other one panel saddle. Honestly, uh, a little bit more comfortable. It's lighter. It actually stays on my waist. I have a well, problem. Yeah, Trev doesn't have, have an ass. So no. So <laughs> so like everybody talks about how they can walk into the woods with their saddle and it doesn't move or anything. Well, every saddle they've ever sat in, and that's a lot of them. That I have all the same problem. When I walk, my pants fall, and so doesn't the saddle, and it's so annoying. But having the two-piece saddle and it just being like a weight belt kind of thing it stays right up i have no problem and then the one piece i can actually walk with it and not have to worry about it at all excellent so i'll I'll follow up on it and from my perspective is after three years i have made my own i have used four different companies versions and we landed with latitude this year and i will tell you right now 
every argument I've had as a combination from everything from the one I made to the ones I've tried, we got the latitudes and put them on and literally wiped out every issue I had. You know, the, the noise going in, you know, the weight of it that I call it the diaper sag, you know, cause you put that thing on and you start moving, you feel like you're walking in a dirty diaper and belts coming loose things of that nature i mean it's just it drove me up the wall and when we got these and we put them through the ringer before we even put out our reviews on them and just the simplicity the way the ropes the knots that they have they're not just a simple prusik knot they went a little above so they hold better everything the end caps are rubberized i mean it's just the stupid little details these guys went into literally solved every problem i had to argue about and I have run the one-piece and the two-piece. I have now actually started using the one-piece to train new saddle hunters. Because it's so easy and simple. There's no buckles. There's no extra crap. It's put it on, pull it tight, and now let's focus on something else. And when you get into the tree, it's comfortable. I've not had a person yet, because I don't go into, here's this saddle, it's this brand. Here, put this on, it's on. Now, this is how your tether works. This is how your linemen work. These are your carabiners, you know. And we get into the focus of saddle hunting because that saddle takes care of the rest. You don't need to go into the details of how to work the saddle. So that's been my biggest takeaway from them. How's it been for you? I, um, I can't say enough good things about Latitude Outdoors. Um, I connected with them uh, about two years ago and started hunting out of the method. And I went with the buckle version. And I did that just because of my background in air operations in the military. It's hard to get and away I, from. I agree. It is. And, you know, I, I saw that, 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 that Austria-Alpin metal buckle, and I was immediately like, that's the one for me. I hunted a season with that, and they came out with the Method 2. And I, I picked up the Method 2 and realized immediately that, Aaron, you're not in military air operations. <laughs> you anymore. are no longer <laughs> this, doing air assaults. <laughs> this Lose is the incredible. Repel line. Um, the the guys at Latitude, you're and, and you, all the other saddle companies, they they're they're you know I'm sure they're founded by saddle hunters, but Latitude Outdoors for me it 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 looks different, it feels different, it smells different. They're three three focused experienced saddle hunters that created saddles for saddle hunters and it, and it and it shows in the products they've designed and and not only that like alex alex chop he lives on social media watching and listening to everything that everybody out there says whether it's about their saddles or another company's saddles, they listen to everything. And every comment, every review, every email, every text that they receive about their product, they, they chew on it, they crunch it, and they, they put it into their next product or development. They, they want to create the best saddle for saddle hunters. I, I think their customer service is amazing. And, and their products are made in America. They're a small company. And um, they are, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but they are whitetail fanatics. 
they are 100% about um, whitetail preservation and knowledge that they've started their own YouTube educational channel. Um, so they're going to teach you about your saddle, how to set your saddle up, what every piece of your saddle does and how, how all the adjustments of each one of those pieces is, is going to affect your fit. And then they're, they're, they're teaching you about hunting whitetail, how to, how to, how to use electronics in the internet to e-scout and how to break a piece of property down. And they hunt mostly public land. Um, and then they, I mean, you're getting it live, you know, they're filming, you're seeing their successes and their failures. They're, um, they're just top notch quality guys. They're not, they're not focused on marketing. They're, they're just focused on, on providing us with the next best level of saddle hunting equipment and capabilities. And that's why I like latitude outdoors. And, and, and I mean, you know, limitless outdoors, latitude outdoors. I mean, it's, it's, how can I not like that name in that company? Right. <laughs> hey, you, if you put them together, it walks like a duck. It talks like a duck. It must That's be a right. duck. That's right. Quack, quack. <laughs> well, Aaron, I guess, I guess the last question, and you probably already know the answer to it or know the question that I'm about to ask. Um, what drives you outdoors, man? Wow, that means our time is almost over tonight. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> what what drives me in the outdoors? Man, there's there's so many ways that I can I can answer that because there's more than one driving factor for me in the outdoors. Um, I'm going to talk about my dad. My I was raised in a home that um, believed in hunting and fishing and the right to own and bear arms. I was raised handling guns when I, I, I was, I was handling guns when I was probably four or five years old. There was no taboo in guns in my house or in my, in my grandparents' house. The, the one rule that we had was you always asked to see or handle the guns and we did it safely. If we ever got caught at the gun cabinet playing with guns or handling guns, it was, it was known that you were done, that you would never, ever touch, handle, or shoot, use guns ever again, at least while you're living underneath that roof. So you, you, were, you were raised – I was raised knowing if, if I was at Grandma and Grandpa's house and I said, Grandpa, can we clean guns? Let's go pick one out. There was no, we're not doing, nope, I'm not in the mood. Nope, we don't have time. Nope, we, you know, we're not doing that today. It was, granted, you know, if it was, if we were dressed for church and going to church, it would be like, Aaron, when we get home from church, first thing we want to do is we'll <laughs> So it wasn't a viable right? excuse. <laughs> that's right. That's right. My dad was the same way. Um, so from four or five years old, I was introduced to that. And when we would pull a gun out of the cabinet, it was gun safety all the way. So there was, there was, you know, there was, I, I, I said it a minute ago, there was no taboo. And we were always going out and doing something in the outdoors. The memories that I have with my father and grandfather, it's no matter what I have physically in my life, they, you can't take those memories away. And when I left for the Navy, I, I left the small town of Washougal, and my first duty station was Naples, Italy. 
I was there for two years. And then, then I went on a civilian ship for a year. Then I came home for a couple of years and I was able to hunt and fish with my dad a little bit. But I was exploring the idea of, I was backcountry hunting before backcountry hunting was cool. Right. Um, this, this was in like the mid nineties. And, um, and so I missed time with my dad in camp because I would go up to the main camp and have my dad drop me off at a gate and I would, I would backpack or ride a bicycle in five miles or so and then set up a spike camp. And that's where I would hunt. Um, but my, my life always focused around hunting and fishing with my dad and, and my grandfather. And then, you know, I had that 10 year break in service and I've, I haven't lived at home for a long time. So when I'm able to go turkey hunting with my dad or when I'm able to go fishing with my dad, whether it's back home or it's here, you know, I relish in those moments. And now my, my dad's in his late seventies and he's had both shoulders completely replaced. He, he can't, he can't fire high powered weapons. He can only, he can only shoot a 410 now. And, um, so I can't hunt with him anymore other than turkey hunting. And, and it's tough to get time. And he gets, he's had two open heart surgeries and his knees are both bad and he doesn't get around. To, I mean, if he gets an, a mile off, off the road, that's a big day. And if he does that, he's not hunting the next day. Uh, so it's hard for us to get time to go do things. So the memories, the moments that I have with my dad right now that actually come to fruition and the memories that I have with him growing up and in my past are what drive me in the outdoors above all um, my mental health, my, my love for the industry and the community and, and the opportunity to meet guys like you, um, you know, all of that stuff. And, and Holy cow. Do I like eating wild game? We didn't even talk about that. <laughs> holy cow! Um, that really is, that is the fuel of my fire for the outdoors. And I'll, if, if we have to close, I'm going to close on this guys. Uh, when I was, when I turned 16, I'm not, so my birthday's in December. So I turned 16. I, my mom act, had me at the DMV testing the, on my birthday, picked up my license, uh, got a job, earning my own money. I mean, I was working hay fields and stuff like that beforehand, but I, I, I got a legitimate job, saved up some money. And against my dad's wishes, he was a trad guy his whole life. I went and bought a compound bow. Oh, uh, buddy. Martin. <laughs> I bought a Martin because Martin's made in Walla Walla, Washington. You know, uh, it's kind of weird, right? You know, I bought a, my first bow was made out of Walla Walla and I, I went to uh, college a lot. Anyhow, um, <laughs> Martin Lynx Mag, the next hunting season... I was, uh, I had an archery tag and, you know, back then you could drive onto school property with bows, guns, whatever in your right. vehicle. So I had all my hunting gear and my Datsun pickup. And as soon as school was out, I was headed up into the Cascades to hunt deer. And I had all my stuff staged by the front door the night before school. When I got up to go to school, my dad had wrote me a note and put it in a Ziploc bag with a Band-Aid because part of the note was uh, part of part of the note was was talking about not cutting myself. And man, the note's right upstairs. I should go get it. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, the basis of it was, you know, it was my dad connecting with me because I was going out hunting with him really for the first time 
without him. We had been in camp and gone our separate ways, but we were always, you know, in camp or in the same vicinity in the same season, hunting with those same weapon system, right? Now he was hunting modern firearm and I was carrying an archery tag and I was going hunting on my own for the first time. So he wrote me this note, guys, that was in, that was in the late eighties. I still have that note. I still have that bandaid. It's in a Ziploc bag. I have carried it on every hunt since the day my dad gave me that note. I, it's in my bag right now. That is what fuels my fire for the outdoors. That's incredible. That is incredible. I don't think there's many people out there that have something like that that they carry with them. That means that yep, much. I love then. it. My, my wife came up with the idea the other day that um, I need to go have some copies of it made. And uh, she said, because if something ever happens to that, you're going to be heartbroken. And she's 100% correct. And, you know, I'm not going to carry a copy of it with me. I carry the original with me every hunt. And I, you have you know, the copy and, if something happens. Yep. Yep. That's what fuels me, guys. And it, you know, I, I know that you brought that question up um, because you're, we're going to have to call it, call it an evening. That, man, there's so much, so much that we could talk about um, that I wish we could have talked about. But um, what a great time. So I got a feeling we're going to be doing a uh, part two to this one here soon. <laughs> that, that's the hey, way I'm when? seeing it. Hey, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is definitely, we're just going to call this a pause on this particular episode because we are mm -hmm. definitely going to keep going with a part two. Trev, we'll get that scheduled right after this. But uh, before we cut you off, where can everyone find you and how can they follow along? Okay, so we'll start with the simplest. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, I have I have Limitless Outdoors on Facebook. I will say that I neglect that page more than anything, so I need to I need to get it caught up and 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 focus on that a little bit. But on on Facebook, Limitless Outdoors, Instagram, Limitless Outdoors. I have a YouTube channel, Limitless Outdoors. Um, I I have a web page now, LimitlessOutdoors.com. Um. Yeah, that's uh, and and I have a Gmail account, limitless.outdoors at gmail.com. So that the key is you have to spell it correctly. It's <laughs> L-I-M-B. So it's not limitless as in L-I-M like you normally spell it. It's limitless because I'm 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 missing a limb. So that's that's the tricky part of the word, especially so on YouTube. If you go onto YouTube and search for limitless outdoors to watch my grassroots videos. It's going to automatically try to spell check you and or even if you spell it correctly, it's great. There is a Limitless Outdoors YouTube channel that's spelled the correct way and it will try to funnel you into that channel. Um, but other than that, man, I'm Limitless Outdoors on any social media. I, I don't I don't tweet. I don't have a Twitter account. I don't do any of that, at least not yet. Um and on my, on my website, guys, I've started blogging. So I have two blogs up right now. And um, I love to write. I've been published a couple of times. So my blog is, is becoming my new outlet. Um, and, it, and this kind of goes back to that kind of like going back to the simplicity of things. 
I can blog about things. I can write an 800 to 1,000 word blog. I don't have to have cameras to do that. I don't have to video to do that. I don't have to process media to write a blog. Um, And my blog content's going to vary, but I'm also going to do gear reviews. So um, check out my check out my website, and um, and and my website is it's all about hunting, fishing, running, um, and being in the outdoors. So uh, that's where you're going to find me. Outstanding, guys. Well, you heard him right there. He told you where to go. Now you guys all need to go over there, click, link, follow, subscribe, do all the necessary evils to support him. Because without your guys' support, he literally doesn't have a leg to stand on. No, that's, that's right. <laughs> I'll figure out a way, though. I promise you. I will. Uh, hey, you know, I will say that, you know, I have um, I have stickers, I have patches, I have hats coming, um, and they will end up being on my webpage. But but I, w- I want to say this, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not in this to make money. Uh, and the biggest thing that I want to sell is is – I want to I, I want to share my desire to go out and be limitless, man. And so that's anybody that wants to come follow my stuff, check it out, like, share, whatever you want to do. You know, I'm not here trying to take your money um, and selling you a hat, sticker, or a patch. I want to sell you my drive and my lust to go live a limitless lifestyle. That's what I want you. That's what I want you to take away from me. Outstanding. Well, Aaron, we really can't tell you how much it means to have you on here and to share that story. And I really hope that the listeners out there tune in and follow along because it's such a precedent that hasn't been followed as of late. You know, people find excuses. They find reasons not to. And I think that's something we need to turn around to is bringing it back to find a reason and a way to go out there and find your success, earn your success, because that's how you get it. You know, dirt under the fingernails, dirty knees, grass stains, just like you did as a kid. And I think you're selling that story real well. So I appreciate you selling that. And uh, we're going to do everything we can to support it. So everyone out there listening, stay tuned. There will be a part two to this. There's no laugh or joke behind that one. And until then, guys, I can't thank you enough for listening. And stay tuned for the next one. And thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive. <laughs>